Welcome to SnackCast, Snack International's new podcast dedicated to all things snacks. In this forum, you'll hear career conversations with leading industry professionals, as well as insights on how the snack industry is meeting consumers' ever-changing demands for new and nutritious snacks, while still serving up those familiar favorites. I'm your host, Joni Spencer, editor of Baking and Snack Magazine, which also produces Snack World. SnackCast kicks off with a summer-long series devoted to WINS, Women in Snacks. WINS is Snack International's initiative to champion leadership development and advancement for female professionals in the snack industry. Over the next few months, we will visit with some of the industry's top executives to learn about their journeys and the challenges they've overcome along the way as well as get some great advice on how we can work together to make positive changes in the snacking industry. Today, I'm talking with Laura Maxwell, Senior Vice President, Supply Chain for PepsiCo Foods North America, the parent company of Frito-Lay. Hi, Laura. Hey, Joni. Great to be here. Oh, thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm really excited about this. Me too. So let's just dive right in. You have a very interesting journey, so can you kind of tell me about what it was like to be a young woman in engineering school and how that path kind of unfolded to becoming a prominent leader in the food manufacturing space? Sure, absolutely. And I I promise I'll give you kind of the quick version because it's a long journey. So I've been with uh, PepsiCo 31 years and I'm literally one of those people that sort of, you know, graduated on a Saturday, went to work on a Monday for Frito and um, I've never looked back. It's been a great journey. I am an industrial engineer by education and I came out of engineering school in that field. I'll start with advice. I always give everyone, but especially young women coming out of STEM programs, I always say, you know, you may think you know exactly what you want to do. I promise you it will change. Because when I came out of engineering school, I was convinced that I wanted to be a very purist engineer. I wanted to sort of pay back that degree that I had worked so hard for. I never wanted people to work for me. I only wanted to be individually responsible for my own performance, all of those things. And it's so funny how 31 years later, I look back and think that, you know, most all of that was completely you know, not the path I actually took. So I did, you know, follow a very strict engineering path for a while, eventually moved into sort of production supervision. And long story short, I was in our field operations um, in many of our manufacturing locations, moved around quite a bit. And by the time I left the field, I was a manufacturing site director for one of our largest sites out in California. I came into our headquarters in Plano, Texas, where I've been um, ever since. So it's been about 14 years And in the roles in headquarters, they've been really fairly diverse in terms of even function. So, I mean, I've always been a supply chain person. Once I got squarely grounded in the field, I knew that I loved just that that notion of being a part of the making and moving in, in the organization. And for PepsiCo, when we talk about supply chain, it's everything from manufacturing, warehousing, fleet to in-market operations. We generally do the handoff to a field selling organization. So that's when I say supply chain, that's what um, we mean by it. And in headquarters, I've worked um, in different roles within the supply chain function from sort of a uh, supporting the field perspective. I also did two roles outside of the function. I spent four years in marketing, um, which was very unique. It was unplanned. 
um, not a part of my journey, but to be honest with you at the time, it was sort of like the CMO believed that there are things within supply chain, the removal of waste, working with agencies, working A&M out of the business, those sort of things that supply chain people are very good at. He felt that that was needed in the organization. So I went and did that. And then I also ran our transformation office for a couple of years. Um, but I will tell you just a quick story that I think is important because it's still, you know, even after all these years, I think when I graduated from engineering school, one in 14 graduates was a woman. And it's not like it's really increased that much. <laughs> I mean, I think honestly, if I look at this back on 40 years, which is, you know, before my time, but 40 years, it, it's really only gone up like 12 points. So it's still STEM and specifically engineering. And I think some supply chain fields are still challenging fields for us to find, um, you know, people willing to go into them if they don't see themselves. So my quick story is when I uh, graduated, you go to get your diploma and I did that and I went to get my diploma. It was kind of after the formal ceremonies. And um, I was very proud. You know, this is at the time I felt pretty good. Um, the fact that I had made it, I was going to get that engineering degree. So I went over to the gentleman that was handing out the diplomas and he extended his hand and said, congratulations, graduate to my husband. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. True story. And I always tell that story. And of course, now I can kind of laugh about it, but I obviously remember it. And in fairness to him, the numbers were certainly with him that I wasn't the one getting the degree. But my point in telling that is that I do think that we are still on a journey, right? In our industry, in any STEM field, and specifically if I look at the food and bev, the snacking industry, we're still on a journey where we are trying to convince people to do something where they don't see themselves represented. And I look back and think, gosh, if I had let that get to me, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, you know, despite the challenges, I'm certainly, you know, I love what I do. It's an exciting industry to be in. And that's kind of the background. Did it kind of light a fire under you as a woman? Joni, it's a great question. Here's what I say. Not at first. In fact, I've changed a lot over the years. And to your point, I think I've learned how to take those just either it's little comments or little, I don't think I belong here and turn it more into a positive fuel to move forward. But I'll be honest, I think for the first few years, especially it, you know, it was more, am I going to, am I going to cry or am I going to move forward? So it took me a long time to get the mindset to be able to do that. And it's not as if even today things don't occasionally happen, but to your point, it's definitely more a fuel and a motivation to move forward than it is anything else. Excellent. So the next thing I want to talk about is mentors that you've had. Your expertise has been extremely diverse, even though it's been at one company. You've touched several aspects of Frito-Lay. What was it that kept you there and motivated you to keep going and keep moving up? And in those roles, who were the mentors that kind of paved that way for you? Sure. It's a great question. And of course, I'm a big advocate of mentors, whether they're assigned to you or whether you go reach out for someone who's sort of a trusted advisor. I'm a big believer in that. Now, I will say that said, I didn't have a lot of formal mentors. You know, it's it's not that I didn't have people that I went to. And I think that um, I'm one of those people that probably got as much from even a trusted peer set. You know, maybe it was a more inexperienced peer who mm -hmm. I felt like I could talk to and trust along the way. 
Um, you know, I'm a believer that it, it's important to make the statement. I have friends at work, you know, just have having people that you enjoy being there with, that you can trust, that know you, that'll give you honest feedback. I think that was a big part of my journey. But the other thing I would say, and I, and I mentioned, you know, as an example, going into the marketing department, that's not something I thought of, right? There was someone that sort of tapped me and said, hey, we think you'd be good at this. I think along with mentors, the other thing that's really important is to listen to others when they tell you, you would be good at X. Because I think oftentimes people see things in us that we don't even see in ourselves, number one. And number two, I feel like along the way, I was tapped a couple times and people took risks. And then therefore, as we were on the journey together, they had skin in the game with me. And that was as much a part of my success as anything. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it's really important for people to change how they think about what a mentor is. So when we look at supply chain that historically has not attracted a lot of female workers, um, what kind of evolution have you seen with diversity, not just at Frito-Lay, but also in, in broader manufacturing? Like, have you seen any myths about supply chain that you can bust for young women? I love the question of myths because I think it's so true. And I'll tell you another quick story in terms of kind of myth busting. So I have two daughters, they're in their twenties. And so you can imagine growing up in my household, what it was like to be, you know, girls. And, you know, I always instilled in them this belief that you can be anything. And even with that, when my daughter, when my oldest was in junior high, she came home and she said to me, Oh mom, you're going to be so excited. And I'm like, why? And she said, because they've asked me to join the math team. And as a former math team member, I was super excited and pumped. And you know, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And then I said, well, when's the first meeting or what do you do? And she said, mom, I wouldn't actually do it. And I said, Why? She said, mom, only boys are in the math team. This is not 30 years ago. This is now. And, wow. this, is, and this is my house, which is a, you know, hashtag girl power house. So <laughs> I would just say that Things like that just remind me that we do have a lot of myths to still bust. And I think one of them, I've talked to my girls about like, what, what is your perception when I say engineering? What, you know, the, the poor things are like, you know, in-home focus groups all the time. But you know, <laughs> along with that and talking to other high school and college age women, I think that there is a belief that you have to be really techie to like fields like ours. Um, I think there's a belief that supply chain food manufacturing is boring, where the reality is it's super exciting. There's automation. There's, you know, great demand. I look at, you know, a year like this year where, you know, we are an essential industry. And so I just think that there's a lot of PR that we still have to do both on STEM fields and on kind of food manufacturing, food supply in general. Do you think that the industry has a lot of opportunity to kind of start connecting with women at a younger age, like at, at the high school age or even through organizations like Girl Scouts? I'm a big believer that the younger we start, the better. You know, there's a lot of studies that, and I'm certainly no expert in this, about, um, you know, the point in time in which some of that social impact starts to have impacts. And it's very subtle. I mean, I use that you know, graduating from college story. That's the thing about the messaging. I don't think it's always overt. I think it's very subtle and very small and it just sort of builds over time and starts to send a message that 
I don't think I belong, even at a young age, even looking at who's on the math team. And without even knowing it, biases form even within women about what they can and can't do. I have spent time in high schools with young women in STEM programs and STEM weeks. Those are some of the funnest times. And the fact that there's maybe less of an appetite by a large group of young women to believe that they can go in a STEM field and you match that against their perceptions and their questions on work-life balance, even as teenagers. And we've got a lot to overcome. Yeah. And that's a good segue to my next question. And that is looking at the advocacy that you've been practicing for women through the WINS Network and also at your company, Frito-Lay's Women's Inclusion Network. You talked a little bit about what you're bringing to these organizations. Can you go into a little bit more detail on that? And then also think about how that participation has kind of benefited you and helped you grow? Absolutely. Now I would say specific to, in in my particular case in PepsiCo, we have a women's inclusion network. We have 10 ERGs actually that, you know, are support groups and advocate groups for associates. And years ago, as you can imagine, I was a member, right? It was, that's the group that while I might've been in a career or a room or in a plant where I didn't see myself, it was a way to connect with people that I felt like I had something in common with that understood the challenges and that made me feel like I belonged, right? So years ago, you know, and I think even today, if I look at, you know, PepsiCo and other companies and these employee resource groups, they're such an important vehicle to help bring women together. Now, I would also say an organization like WINS is so important. And I've been so impressed with the impact that they've had in their efforts, not only to bring women together in the industry, but also to bring everyone, including the men, into the conversation. Because at this point in time, the leaders, men and women, both in terms of who's in leadership positions, we all need to understand the things that we're talking about today so that we can go put the right things in place to make a difference. We understand that there might be biases so we can talk about them before you know, knowing that they're there. So, you know, I think in both cases, those are the really important things that we have to do to continue to move the agenda forward. I could not agree with you more, Laura. I think that having the women's specific network is a great first step, but when you bring in men as well and have a broader conversation about how everybody can work together and see those perspectives, I think that's where change can really happen. And I think WINS is doing that really well. I would agree. It's been, look, it's been, the efforts have been terrific. All the programming that I've been involved in, um, you know, the, the benefit we have is it's beyond any one company. It's an entire industry of leaders that we have that can come in and share their experiences. And I feel like we're committed to kind of a higher order purpose of helping each other on this journey. Yeah, I totally agree. So the next thing I want to talk about is um, work-life balance. And I loved what you said about your house was a house of girl power. And now that your girls are grown, when you look back, what would you say was the biggest challenge for you as a working mother? And then what are you most proud of? You know, it's, it's funny. I'm glad you asked the question. And sometimes I think, you know, in things like this, oh, no one wants to hear about work-life balance anymore. I mean, we've talked a lot about it, but at the same time, I find as I, you know, as, as I shared Joni, that even when I speak to young women in high school, 
they will ask me about, you know, given the chance after a presentation, when they line up to, you know, ask you their questions, they'll ask about how I feel about the ability to have a career like this in family. So I know it's something that is still on the minds. It's, it's not just something for, you know, people that have been around for a long time. It's still on the minds of, um, I think, you know, women as they think about balancing, you know, life and careers. So I think we have to keep talking about it. So that said, the advice that I give, first of all, I mean, you asked about, you know, my own experiences. I can now reflect back a little bit, right? I'm, I'm, I'm later in my life stage. I do have daughters in my twenties. It's amazing how, to be honest with you, a lot of the things that were sort of my, I'll call it guilty working mom factors. We all have them. I had them. (laughs) When I'm able to touch base with my kids, what I realized that in some cases, they were in my head. They weren't really coming out in realities to my children. I'll give you an example. I've talked to the girls about the fact that when I worked in the field, like in our field environment, it was much more of a, you know, you're reacting to phone calls at three in the morning. You're going back to the plant at night. I felt like I was more out of balance. Like that's what I felt like because of just the nature of of the beast. And so, but when I talk to my girls today about it, what they say is, yeah, but mom, you made things. Your job was so cool back then. I mean, now you just go to some building and you're in meetings all day, which cracks me up, you know, and you think, okay, some of those were voices in my own head then, you know? So that being said, I would say today when um, anyone, and this could be men or women, to be honest with you, ask me about what is it that you do for balance? And I still do this today. Of course, if you, if it's about hours and counting hours, I mean, most of us would say we'll end up disappointed on those goals, you know, that that's, that can be challenging or there are certain times of years that can be challenging. But what I do believe in is, and I say this specific to anyone, but I think you know, especially for women that oftentimes feel like they're wearing many hats. Um, when children are young, if they if they have kids, that can be challenging. I know that I, I talk to a lot of women that are you know dealing with aging parents. I mean, all those kind of things. So there's a lot of what's what's in it for me. I think that um, we all have to have something that's ours. You know that that makes us feel good. It doesn't mean it has to take a lot of time, but just something that. Every year you go into a year and you say, what's going to make me feel great this year? Not about how many hours I work, but just about something that I want to do. And I'll give you an example that was a small example, but there was a year where when my oldest was going to do like college searches. So she was graduating from high school. And I said to my manager at the time, I want to be the parent that is able to do that with her. We'll spend time together. I'm going to take some Fridays off. You know, I, at the end of this year, I want to say it was me that took her on all those trips. And I did that. And it, that isn't about hours. And, you know, I don't know how that fits into work-life balance, but I would tell you, I felt balance and peace at the end of that year that I'd done something I really wanted to do and enjoyed it. So I, I, you know, I always tell people decide what that is for you and make sure that you can achieve it. And it's amazing how that can give you a sense of balance. Well, I can say as a working mother, I really appreciate this advice. And I've got about seven years before the college visits happen. And I'm going to remember this advice and take it to heart. (laughs) I think it's really important. I like um, what you said about finding one thing for yourself too. I think women, we forget to do that. We do. No, it's so true. And I think we think because we oftentimes we're counting hours, we think that 
we don't have time for something when the, the reality is, you know what, having that time for something that is meaningful to you, even if your house is a little messier, you know, Mm -hmm. or Uh you you made a frozen dinner or whatever, (laughs) you know, it just, it, that sense of, you know, peace and balance. And I did something for me at the end of the day makes it worth it. Yeah. My neighbor once told me you cannot pour from an empty cup. Agreed. Agreed. So balance has kind of taken on a whole new meaning these days because the pandemic has kind of thrown everything out of balance for everybody. So with your experience as a working mom and a woman in manufacturing, how did that kind of help you support these essential workers? They had to kick it into high gear to keep the store shelves stocked, especially like looking back in the early days of the pandemic. I'm sure that it was hard to manage. How did you draw on your own personal experience to support those in the plants? Yeah, it's, I mean, listen, this is, this year, I, we always talk about it, you know, it's a year like no other, and it has had challenges. And of course, in an environment like this, not everyone's situation is the same, right? It's not as if everyone has the same challenge in terms of, you know, the home front. I mean, we've seen everything from families to parents trying to determine how to homeschool children to impacted family members and, you know, parents in um, assisted living in nursing homes. Like we all know, like there's all of those things that are factors. And I guess I just, I just would say in general, like a lot of companies, you know, we've done what we can to try to recognize the big things. I also think that what's important just as a leader, I would tell you is that, you know, I I started to learn to, and remind myself that it's important to not just ask what everyone's challenge is and think that I was the only one that could come up with a solution, but to follow that up with what's your challenge and what could we do to help you? Because I found throughout this year, people know our business. They know what we can and can't do. And given the opportunity to help be a part of the solution, they've you know, I think we've fared better at figuring out, okay, how can we help people with either, you know, flexible schedules or situations where, you know, we can help them by doing something very small that all of a sudden enables what they need um, to get the job done. One thing I've learned is that there's really no right or wrong answer in any of this. It's just a matter of doing the best we can in the situation that we're being given. Okay, so we've talked about a lot. We've covered a lot of ground today. When I think about, I mean, I picture you as, you know, a young engineering school graduate and you've you've been through so much and you've and you've risen up and you talked about looking up and not seeing someone that looks like you. But now there are, you know, there could be a woman on a plant floor who looks up and she sees you. What advice would you give a current professional or a young woman entering this industry? Your final parting words of wisdom. I appreciate that. Um, So, you know, I would say this, the advice is more about almost how to get the right mindset about it. You know, we talked earlier about these, you know, kind of the little voices of doubt in your head or the little things that you hear that add up to something big and, and, you know, you combine that with the fact that then you look up and you don't see yourself. And I know that while we're making great strides as an industry in terms of, you know, bringing 
And honestly, it's not even just bringing women in. It's just, it's in general, bringing in a more diverse group of leaders into our organizations. And my message to everyone is, instead of letting that be a deterrent, think of yourself as a pioneer because they, in fact, are pioneers. I mean, they're still helping us pioneer and pave the way. And, you know, I also talk about, there's this image I have where, you know, you've got these people that are joining our industry and behind them are people that are watching them. So while they're watching us, there are people coming up watching them and they have that same opportunity to, to just kind of pave the way, help us get better, um, stay and become pioneers themselves for the next generation to follow. And maybe that's a little hokey, but that is how I think about it. That's how important this is. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it's important to remember that it's all a cycle. And how do we want to participate in that? Absolutely. Well, Laura, this has been so enlightening. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. And I think you have an amazing story. And I'm so happy to be lucky enough to have this conversation with you. Well, Joni, the questions were great. I enjoyed it. I mean, this has been awesome. And so, you know, I'm certainly, I have to tell you, I'm honored to uh, be able to participate today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joni. WINS networking and educational sessions are offered annually at SNACS Executive Leadership Forum and SNACSPO and programs are available online throughout the year. These serve as forums for men and women to gather, learn, and exchange ideas and experiences about gender diversity issues in the industry. For more information on how you can get involved, visit SNACS website at www.snacintl.org.